Welcome to Piecemeal, a new podcast hosted by the EMILY program where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. I'm your host, Claire Holtz, and on today's mini episode, we are going to introduce the EMILY program. The EMILY program is an eating disorder treatment center that has become nationally recognized for its personalized approach to eating disorder awareness, treatment, and lifelong recovery. On today's episode, we are joined by the founder of the EMILY program, Dirk Miller. Dirk is not only an advocate in the eating disorder field, he's also a key leader who has his own personal story as to why he founded the EMILY program. Dirk, can you introduce yourself and tell that story? Well, thank you, Claire. I'm glad to be on this first uh, episode of Piecemeal. So the EMILY program, we have uh, a a short version of how it started and a long version of how it started. The short version is uh, I was in graduate school finishing up uh, my dissertation, working on my dissertation, and I started the EMILY program with uh, on my credit cards in an office that I uh, didn't have any furniture for, any money to start it. My girlfriend at the time, now my wife of 20, 25 years, helped me to copyright a brochure for the Emily program. Um, and uh, the name came, I was going to call it the something boring like the place for treating people with eating disorders. She, who, she also does marketing and advertising, and she suggested that I ask my sister Emily, who had an eating disorder, uh, if I could use her name. So that's how we got started, um, with very few clients and a dream for helping people with eating disorders. The longer version is that uh, I grew up in uh, western Pennsylvania, uh, and it was about a lot about sports and drinking, and I did a lot of both of those growing up, uh, including wrestling. Um, and between the probably the drinking and the wrestling and the sports, um, by the time I got to college, uh, I was also bulimic. So uh, when I went to treatment in 1979 uh, in eastern Pennsylvania, I told them at the time that I was uh, eating and purging, binging and purging, and they told me that that was anorexia nervosa, only women get it, and it would go away if I stayed sober. Two, two years later, I was still sober, and I'm still sober today, and, um, uh, but I was still active with my eating disorders two years later and could not find help anywhere, called around the country. There were no programs. There were no resources for people with eating disorders. Uh, people barely understood what eating disorders were or heard the, the terminology. So from that point on uh, in my own sort of personal journey for finding recovery and support, um, you know, I, I felt a commitment to, to starting, you know, building some kind of resources for people with eating disorders. So that's the, the longer version about how I got interested in it. I came to Minnesota. I was, uh, did some career testing uh, while I was uh, living in Pittsburgh, and uh, healthcare management came up as a possibility. And I found a program at the University of Minnesota in uh, alcohol drug counseling and uh, healthcare mental health management, which fit perfectly with my own story of recovery from uh, addiction. And uh, I was with some friends, eating disorder friends in recovery, and uh, one of them told me that uh, they had just heard that the University of Minnesota had started the country's first intensive bulimia treatment program. Um, and it just seemed 
you know, too coincidental and miraculous that there would be uh, the very program that I was looking at, the University of Minnesota, would also have the first bulimia treatment program. Um, so that sealed my decision to come to Minnesota. I called the person who was running the grad program, and he gave me a full scholarship and a stipend and um, uh, kind of away we went. So I think that that ex- that um, miracle that uh, you know that that uh, I was able to come to Minnesota, uh, where they had started started working with eating disorders, was enormous uh, for me at the time. And there was a recovering community here. People met uh, every day of the week. There was a, a you know a lot of discussion about eating disorders. Um, uh, the woman who was the coordinator of the program at the time was Gretchen Goff, who uh, became a, an important mentor in my life, and she was a partner with the EMILY program uh, from 1995 till 2000 uh, when she retired. Um, so uh, that experience of being here in Minnesota, which had at the time 25% of the alcohol drug beds in the country were here in Minnesota, it felt like ground zero for recovery. Like everything recovery and mental health uh, related happened here in Minnesota. Um, And it was a very exciting time. Uh, There was uh, a lot of uh, young people in recovery, an enormous uh, kind of recovering community with uh, uh, in 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 uh, an environment that was very supportive of people being in recovery. I mean, if you think about it, uh, mental health parity largely had its uh, its roots in Minnesota between Paul Wellstone and uh, later Jim Ramstead picking up the the cause for for mental health. Um, you know, the first alcohol drug program in the country, Hazelden started here in Minnesota. Um, uh, the Johnson Institute, which was a very important uh, organization for the development of thinking about uh, recovery from uh, uh, alcohol and drugs, was from uh, from Minnesota. So I think being in this atmosphere, this crucible of Minnesota, um, with my passion for wanting to develop better options to help people for eating disorders, is really what the Emily program is about. So we have a lot of people who on staff who are either themselves in recovery or have connections with the University of Minnesota or both. Um, and I think it's that marriage between uh, kind of the, the, the recovering community and the academic, uh, you know, uh, University of Minnesota, the studies, the research uh, that really has been, uh, you know, what formed the Emily program. So you talk a lot about the University of Minnesota. Would you consider the EMILY program to be a research-based treatment facility? Yeah, I, we, we support, uh, you know, a lot of ongoing research here. So I'm not sure how many studies are going on now, but, um, you know, it's, it, it's been significant. We were the largest contributor uh, to DSM-5 for the renorming of DSM-5 in terms of subjects. Uh, in part because of the the large number of people that we see, um, that uh, we can we can get more data uh, quicker uh, than uh, practically any program in the country. I mean, the, the, our numbers are uh, just enormous compared to to other programs. So we've treated maybe twenty thousand Minnesotans is our estimate. Um, we can see up to we are seeing currently between. 
you know, probably 4,500 to 5,000 uh, current clients. And our clients are very tend to be very conscientious, willing to participate in research. They want to help future generations as well as themselves. But they also, uh, you know, think about, uh, you know, the young, young people, and they don't want uh, the next generation to have to go through the same struggles that they've gone through in terms of body image and, uh, you know, dietary chaos. Um, so uh, our clients are more than willing to help uh, participate in studies. Um, so yes, I would say that we, uh, plus we have, you know, our chief science officer, Scott Crow, who's uh, also on faculty at the University of Minnesota, but uh, here um, primarily is, he spends his time here at the EMILY program, and Carol Peterson, who's our chief training officer, who also holds an appointment at the University of Minnesota. And we all went through sort of the same cohort at the same time, um, really under the guidance of Jim Mitchell, Dick Pyle, uh, a number of people at the University of Minnesota. So uh, Scott has, is a past president of the Academy of Eating Disorders, and uh, both are uh, you know, really uh, very well-known researchers. Uh, nationally and internationally. So I think, uh, you know, I think that I would consider us a research institution, uh, you know, program and uh, also a recovery oriented, that we're, we're able to hold both of those values in, in, and they don't compete. So many times uh, those are competing, uh, you know, ideas that don't, that don't uh, meld well together, but uh, somehow, and I think it's, it's probably the individuals who are involved, and it's probably the culture of Minnesota, that we've been able to marry those two uh, concepts and, and uh, work very well with them. Do you remember any of the first clients of the Emily program? Did they have a certain type of eating disorder? I know now there's way more eating disorders than there were when we founded the Emily program. So were you seeing those other eating disorders from the beginning, or did the eating disorders like OSFED, other specified feeding and eating disorder, were those seen back then and we just didn't have names, or what's the evolution of those? Uh, yeah, I would say in the beginning we did not see uh, OSFED or uh, you know, some of the other, it, it, back then the nomenclature was slightly different. There was uh, uh, pica and um, we, and we didn't see any of the, the feeding uh, disorders that, that, we are, that we see now. Um, they would have been much more uh, kind of traditional bulimia. Uh, uh, w the, the EMILY program started in a, in a location that was surrounded by universities. So it tended to be younger, people with anorexia, nervosa, bulimia nervosa, um, and then an older overeating population. Uh, and I, uh, uh, I was the, the, I certainly remember some of the first clients and some of the, the first groups that we did uh, uh, from way back when. Um, client stories, names, I may forget names, and I, I think this is probably true with therapists in general, you may, you may forget names, but you don't forget stories. Uh, and, you know, we all become over time a repository, a rich repository of stories of recovery and people who've uh, had struggles and, um, you know, had to find their way uh, kind of out of the darkness. So it's, it's easy to hold on to some of those stories from uh, long ago. And I still hear from some of those clients in the early days. Uh, you know, a client, one of the first clients to come who uh, uh, had been at one of the universities uh, you know, called me up and wanted to take me out to lunch to, to say thank you for, 
you know, all those years ago. So uh, it's it's still very powerful, you know, imagining that you get to be there with somebody as they, you know, cross from the darkness into the light and, uh, you know, experience that, that, uh, that change, that epiphany, that moment, uh, you know, uh, where they, they, they kind of walk free. So that's very exciting about this work. And, uh, of course, I remember uh, early clients. Circling back to just talking about the origin story of the MLA program, I remember that when I was first hired at the MLA program, one of my first experiences was actually with you, Turk, during our new employee orientation. I remember in the morning we were touring sites, we were learning about the MLA program, we were setting up our computers, all the things like that. But then in the afternoon, you came to speak to our group. I remember you distinctly telling the MLA program founding story, how it got started, where we want to go in the future. And I remember thinking, this is not something a typical organization does. This is so out of the ordinary to have the founder take time out of their day to come speak to the new hires. And for me, that just set the tone for the whole Emily program culture. And the longer I've been here, the more I've come to realize that your passion for eating disorders isn't just yours, but it's an Emily program passion. It's an organizational passion. I think that passion also leads us to treat people and not patients. There's a lot of dialogue right now in the eating disorder field about treating clients and treating patients, or treating the quote-unquote people. Do you have anything to say about the idea of treating the people as a whole and not just them as a patient? Yeah, I would say that there, uh, you know, that um, even more, we, we treat people not eating disorders. So it's people that we support. And uh, I think that our new, uh, our new, uh, tagline that we use, uh, you know, says it so well, beside me when. I just love that. That's such a powerful sort of concept that we want to walk beside people who are, uh, you know, bravely facing those issues that they struggle with. And um, and, and I think all people struggle with problems. I, the, the quote I heard was, and I, I can't remember who it was, that was asked, uh, do you know anybody who, who doesn't have problems? And the answer was, nobody I know well. And I think of that with, you know, with, with our clients, that eating disorders are sort of uh, the rub of life. They are things that happen to us as we go through life, as does divorce and depression and cancer and all these uh, issues that we're going to face and we're going to struggle with and we're going to, uh, you know, uh, you know we, we, we gain strength for, through those uh, through those uh, those moments where we face uh, difficulties, so um, uh, we see the whole person. It's people who recover. It's uh, we we aren't like car mechanics where somebody comes in and we tinker around and change the alternator and uh, they go 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 for it and don't have any issues. I think sometimes people wish that that was the case. Um, some, sometimes people want it to be, you know, as simple as that, that you can come in and take a pill or a medicine that's going to make this, uh, this whole thing go away. And, uh, it just, uh, it just isn't, it isn't, it isn't that easy. Um, I think that the, the average number, and I, uh, you know, use this statistic a lot with alcohol, drug, I know we don't know with eating disorders, but on average, uh, for somebody to get one year of continuous sobriety takes eight years and four to five intensive treatments. 
Um, and then to go from one-year continuous sobriety to where the risk factor of drinking alcoholically, again, drops to the population averages another five years. So it's really 13 years beginning to end. Now, I don't know what the numbers are for eating disorders, and uh, Scott and I have been talking about how we could possibly get those numbers. Um, but I think that it's, it doesn't seem to me that it's going to be significantly less, maybe more. Um, you know, eating disorders tend to be very complicated. I think that those, all those failed attempts, though, are part of the learning experience that one goes through in order to, to reach recovery. And we need to value those, those struggles and those failures and not thinking about people as, as failures, but thinking about those as part of the, the learning experience that one goes through to, you know, their trial and error to find out what's going to work and what's not going to work. Listen, I'm, you know, I just went through treatment. I know my therapist said that I should do this, but I think I don't have to do that. And I'm going to see what happens if I don't do that. And we all have to do that. It's not, that's a, that's a human thing that, uh, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, happens to people. So yes, I completely agree. Just to explain Beside Me When, it's the EMILY program's latest social campaign that gives an opportunity for past clients, current clients, or anyone that the EMILY program has affected to share their story on social media. Basically what folks do is you hashtag Beside Me When on social media, and then you're able to share your story of when the EMILY program was beside you, when you were with us, and how you reached recovery. But going back to your previous point, Dirk, I think it's so important that people know recovery can look different for everyone. It's okay if you need treatment more than once or twice. It's okay if you think you're going to call to get an eating disorder assessment and you don't. It's all okay, and it happens all the time. Right now, the statistic is that 30 million people in the United States alone have an eating disorder. And out of those 30 million, around 30% of them get treatment. That means 70% of 30 million are not getting treatment. We know there's barriers and it's tough, but if there's one thing you could tell someone who's nervous to call, what would you say? Well, uh, let me tell you a story. I just uh, had lunch with a, with a friend of mine who's uh, also been in alcohol drug recovery for uh, about 40 years, same, same amount of time as I have. And she told me that uh, she had had bulimia when she was early in recovery and had never told anybody. It was only recently within the last several years that she told somebody. So this is, you know, uh, that that seemed to me to be a stunning story. Here's somebody who, you know, has faced their demons with the addiction and uh, started to recovery, but still the shame was so great that she couldn't uh, disclose this the the eating disorder. So I, if I said there was one thing, it would be shame that somehow we feel underneath it all that we're defective. That this because of this disorder that makes us less than, not good enough, and uh, you know confined to you know a life of uh, you know people looking down on us with pity and sadness and. Uh, as if we're broken people. So I think within all of psychotherapy, we, it's important in all of change, it's important to hold two concepts together, that, um, that we're perfect just as we are and we need to change. And we need to hold those in balance with each other. Um, and by the time people get here, they're, they're much more likely to hold on to, I need to change and have much more difficulty with, I'm perfect just as I am. But again, in our thinking, Having an eating disorder doesn't make somebody a bad person. Recovering from an eating disorder doesn't make them a good person. We're 
they're good people, we are good people, regardless of the eating disorder. That is, if you believe that it's a disease, if it's a disorder that, that happens to people, you can't then also uh, you know, blame them for not recovering in the time frame that we would like them to recover in. And one last thing before we wrap up, as someone that considers themselves to be in recovery or fully recovered, what would you say to those that are just starting their recovery journey? I would say it's uh, an incredible journey with wonderful people along the way. Uh, my re- recovering eating disorder tribe is a wonderful tribe uh, with uh, compassionate, intelligent, thoughtful people, and uh, join us on that journey. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dirk. If you or someone you know is experiencing an eating disorder, please reach out to us at the EMILY program at 1-888-364-5977 or visit us at emilyprogram.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at EMILY program. If you want to learn more about eating disorders and the various issues entangled with the illnesses, keep listening to this podcast. If you have any questions you'd like answered on air, you can email us at podcast at emilyprogram.com. Piecemeal is an Emily Program podcast with new episodes released the first Monday of every month. Piecemeal is hosted and edited by me, Claire Holtz, produced by Nancy Linden and I, with music by Dan Forkey. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends, subscribe, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or any other place you listen. Our first full episode is out on Monday, and it's called Eating Disorders 101, and we'll answer all of your questions about what eating disorders are, who gets them, and what we can do to help.